0: Back to the show. Um, I have my good friend Tara with me today and Tara and I know each other um, because I was actually her campus pastor at Eastern Kentucky University where she was a student which is interesting considering our topic today but I brought Tara on and asked if she would join me to have an open conversation around faith and where we find ourselves in our own faith And honestly, Tara and I haven't caught up in quite a bit. So there still may be things that she and I haven't talked about or know about in each other's journey up to this point. Um, So there may be things that we're discovering or asking questions about. But um, I brought Tara into the mix because she has such a huge heart and um, is such a genuine soul and is always seeking, I feel like is always seeking to grow and deepen um, her relationship with creation and with other people and so I also needed someone quite honestly who I felt safe enough to have this conversation with so I really appreciate you being here Tara. Yeah
1: well I feel honored that you're having me on especially for this conversation it's a tough one for a lot of people. Yeah
0: yeah I'll go for it. So I grew up in the church, uh, the Baptist church to be exact, Southern Baptist. Um, my dad was a youth pastor for the first 18 years of my life and began a church there. I think I was around 19. It was right before I was going to college. He started a church more non-denominational called Fos community church. And, um, for the majority of my life. I mean, ever since the age of seven was when I professed my faith uh, to be a Christian. And maybe about two to three years ago, I feel like I I feel like I started struggling with the Christian faith. Maybe not in the proponents or the tenets of the beliefs, but maybe in how orchestrated religion has been or what I've experienced and some contributing factors to that have been, you know, in the Southern Baptist faith, there's not a lot of place for strong women (laughs) and I've been a strong woman since I left the womb, I think. And, (laughs) and so I really struggled early on in my early twenties with feeling called into higher places of ministry to love people and teach people and lead people and feeling very conflicted that that was not allowed because of my background. And, you know, I want to be clear that my dad in, in that capacity was always so supportive and, and my mom for that matter too. Um, They have more of the belief that, you know, you live into the gifting that you're born into not based on sex but based on just how god has wired you and called you and i think i started to be kind of disturbed by these conversations i was having with what we would call in the christian faith non-believers or people who didn't profess to know jesus or ascribe to christianity um who felt barred from the doors of faith because of their sexual preference or their past or just their own maybe mistakes in life or feeling feeling judged or misunderstood. And there was no room for them at the table. They felt excluded and other than. And to me, I think that's kind of it didn't sit right with me, <laughs> and it hasn't sat right with me. I, I've never wanted to be a part of something that people were excluded from, but instead included to. And I think the way that I always experienced the gospel myself was, and the gospel again being um, the Christian message, what we would call the gospel in the Christian faith. Um, which just means I think the truth and I became uncomfortable with having people believe that when I said I was a Christian, that meant I was standing against them. And I think, and, and, and politics has been part of the issue too. It's very polarizing but I felt like I would rather be known for what I was for and not what I was against. And so that began some of the inner workings for me of like a, a stepping back from really a lot of my like regular attendance at a church. Um and really trying to observe or reflect on what I believe. And then, of course, leading into my father's death last year. I've never thought a lot about an afterlife, really, which is interesting, I think, for a Christian to say. But heaven was not something that I felt like I don't know, needed to be so saturated in conversation about where someone was going to spend their eternity because we're here right now. And I feel like there's a reason for that. And we have all of these things that we don't know about what happens after this life. And, but I found myself and I still find myself really wanting there to be a heaven, wanting there to be a space where I could experience a relationship with my dad again in some kind of presence, some kind of physical presence. I still feel like he's here in spirit. In a lot of ways, I feel very comforted in that, but the proximity would be really cool if that's available to be experienced in an afterlife. And so, I guess where I feel like I am currently in my faith is just very curious, like more curious than I've ever been around just what people believe as a whole and how that does tie in. I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm no longer a Christian. I even took off, you know, there's that spot in Facebook where it has you put like your beliefs. And a long time ago, I just changed it to Jesus follower or something like that. I didn't even find a home for myself in like one of the camps of Christianity, Baptist, Catholic, et cetera, et cetera. I don't even know what they all are. I feel like an illiterate person at times because I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about if you've ever talked to somebody in a, an established seminary background <laughs> you might be way out of your depth i felt that way a time or two so that's kind of where i find myself i'm i'm questioning and curious and um to be honest i felt really ashamed about that at first like in the christian faith you're taught if you don't believe fully in Jesus, like you're in jeopardy of going to hell. And, but faith is such a curious thing, right? Because faith itself is, it requires an act of believing without seeing, but I feel like I've experienced love and so much joy in my own relationship with, with God, that I do feel like there's like an existence for faith. I don't know. So I, I think I'm just in a place right now that is very exploratory and I don't know where I fit and I don't know what to call myself. And like I said, for a while, I was embarrassed about that, I think too, and just not knowing where I fall. But as I've explored more of that, I become more comfortable. And I feel like I feel like under all of that too, I still believe that there's a divine creator. There's things that are too perfect in the world to exist. And I see that relationship imitated also in like the ability to have children. I feel like life begets life and the orchestration of relationship. That all makes a lot of sense to me. I see those patterns and that interconnectedness so that's kind of where I find myself right now how about you Tara
1: yeah I would say I'm in a similar place of feeling more curious and finally feeling uh safe in that um in being able to explore and have doubts and ask questions, than I ever did before. Um, I think we have similar backgrounds. I also kind of grew up in a Southern Baptist. My family would have called themselves Christian, although we didn't start going, you know, regularly to church until I was 11 or 12. And that's when I was saved and um you know really uh I don't know I felt I definitely felt something it wasn't I talked to a lot of different people with various religious backgrounds and experiences and sometimes they talk about making that decision to go before the church and, you know, as a lot of Southern Baptists would say, ask Jesus into your heart as kind of a fear-based, but for me, I really did feel something, some connection, and I believed in in God, and I felt like I did have some connection or relationship with something out there something greater um bigger than myself even at a young age um it was more as I got older it was the church it was never my relationship with God that felt um unsafe or I don't know i there were a lot of experiences of, um, you know, like you said, not there's not much of an openness for strong women or basically that um, that sector specifically Southern Baptist, They have their ideas of where people belong, and I felt that very much of trying to put me where I belong. Um, you know, having Separate classes for young girls and young boys, and young girls did inside stuff and you know, baked cookies or decorated cupcakes or something. And the guys were outside playing, you know, soccer or just out being, you know, roughhousing more and doing more of that sort of thing and um, getting older, uh, sort of. You know, growing up, becoming a woman and starting to be told where I belong or what I should and shouldn't do, what I should wear. Um, I was specifically told once that my breast bounced too much when I ran <laughs> um, by older men Fun. in the church, you know, things like that. Very... Uh, sexist and misogynistic environment Um, that shaped me in a way that I didn't really understand until later in my life. Um, I had a lot of body shame issues going into middle school and high school Um, and I just didn't feel at home or safe um, and getting older, I would say probably starting in college, that's when I really looked back on a lot of things and dealt with or started delving into some trauma of my past and like why why do I have these fears and anxieties? Why do I have this guilt and shame? And a lot of it came from the church. And that's when I, you know, had to start rethinking some things about how we, or how the Christian faith treats people, and how they um, teach us to relate to our bodies, and um, a lot of it results in some unhealthy mindsets, and um, I think for everyone, but especially young girls, uh, and so that that was probably the beginning of me starting to wanting to distance myself from that sort of belief. But I still had this the strong connection, and I, I would tell people. You know, they would ask me, you know, what I believe or. Um, You know about my faith and as I would get into that I would always say I don't this has never affected my relationship with God I've never sort of combined my relationship with God with my relationship with the church and been angry and wanted to separate myself from both of them I sort of had this just this feeling that one was quite off um, that the church was off from what it was originally meant to be and like you said Evelyn uh, just seeing how people who are different you know even if they're just another denomination are treated I never I just didn't identify with that anymore and I didn't want to be um I didn't want to be that person that people were like, oh, she's a Christian, we can't talk about this, or they didn't feel safe talking to me about things, coming to me about things because they thought I would always have the right answer or, you know, um, the church's answer for everything. And I, I wanted to show people that hopefully I was different that I wanted to be different and I wanted to be more like the person that Jesus was and who I believed him to be and that the church had sort of gotten off on on a really long tangent (laughs) of I don't know, kind of making what they wanted, and picking and choosing, and I don't know if that makes sense,
0: <laughs> but
1: uh, yeah, so that's, that's where I find myself today, is just a long, a long process of realizing what I went through when I was younger, and being able to point that back to certain, you know, being told or being or just experiencing certain things within within the church and then, um, you know, realizing that I just don't really see the love that they claim to embody and wanting to not really... I did not wanna let go of God. I wanted to let go of that idea and that God that they, or that the church has <clears throat> has sort of created and put into the world and find something that was deeper and more true and more loving and for everyone.
0: Yeah. And I, I will say in a, In addition to the things that have, I guess, contributed to my own headspace, I have experienced really deep community with people who are so loving in some of those environments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Tara's nodding. I think that that's been true for you too.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't mean to, I say the church, like, I don't mean to convey that it's all bad because it isn't. And I've met so many truly loving, caring people um, who are are in it and they they are in it for the right reasons and they want to love on people um, so I don't mean to group everyone together. Oh so. no
0: I, I wasn't calling you out either too. I wanted to come back and, and like recognize that for myself too like like just in in everything I was sharing that that's you know, that experience of what the church as a whole, maybe in the United States, I can't speak for other places yeah. in the world, but maybe too to just like the overarching theme. So that's why I wasn't, you know, I I didn't hear you saying that, but I was thinking, oh gosh, like I have so many people in my life who who have loved on and poured out and into me, and have have absolutely um been a representation of such beautiful love to me and my family
1: sorry I didn't mean to
0: end no up. go ahead
1: I don't think I would have if it weren't for those people also within the church I don't think I would have ever had the relationship with God that and that feeling of connectedness, um, you know, I, I think it was, I would have to give thanks to those people and credit where credit is due, um, for those who loved me and stood beside me and were there when, you know, things were said and done that we're hurtful and know, yeah, shame and guilt inducing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think too, there's, a, there's a natural progression of what happens for us as young adults as well, where we maybe come into the world and we're introduced to other ideas or ways of being in the world. Um, and as we enter into late twenties, early thirties, that continues depending on where you are. So I think, I think for me too, it's been a, it's been also a coming home to myself in some ways, like where you talk about recognizing some of the maybe frameworks that you'd been living into that led you like to be ashamed in your body and um, for example for me too like the first time I had sex not married but the first time I had sex I remember <laughs> that my overwhelming feeling was I wonder if God can love me the same. And I was upset (laughs) that that was my reality and also upset at the purity culture that I've been, I guess, asked to walk into or through my whole life because it it was so ill prepared. I, I was so ill prepared, I guess, for what I was walking into as far as the world of uh, intimacy in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it was just abstinence. You abstain, you don't do it. I'll never forget. There was a story I loved when I was younger. And I think back Like I think back on some of the things that I taught younger women and I think I had no business talking to anyone about these things because I had never experienced like real temptation and I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) because I was just parroting what had been told to me and not actually living that out in my own reality. And so like, I'll never forget (laughs) in college, I was mentoring this group of girls. They were about to graduate. They just graduated high school and they were going to start college. I was, I think three or four years older than them. It was my junior or senior in college. And we were talking about Sex, how far is too far, those kinds of things. And I was like, well, if your grandma couldn't be in the room with you, it's too far. (laughs) And like, (laughs) up until this point, though, I'd never really experienced the temptation and the proximity of a relationship that I'd ever wanted to actually experience on a physical level, like not really which is crazy to admit, but true. I was kind of a late bloomer in these ways. Like I just wasn't on my to-do list. And, And about like shortly into a relationship where I did choose to have sex, it was because I had decided I wanted to experience with this person who I felt like I loved and wanted to experience it with. And then had all of these things on the back end of it around shame and identity and ended up staying in a really unhealthy relationship because I felt like since I'd had sex with him, I had to spend the rest of my life with him because that was a choice that I made. And even though we weren't married, I was going to commit to that relationship and stay in it for the long haul because that was the right thing to do by God. <laughs> and the level at which like, oh, it's just so so embarrassing <laughs> it's just there's no other word for it embarrassing and sad, and all those things i actually I heard um a therapist, Esther Perel, are you familiar with Esther Perel? Um uh, no. So I've only listened to a few things she's done. She has a podcast and she does um, therapy where she records some of the sessions. And I was listening to her talk about like someone used the phrase, I lost my virginity, which is a, like a popular phrase too in, in the Christian world. But I think just in the Western world, right? You lost your virginity at what age, what age were you no longer a virgin? And she said, I'll never understand that phrase because like when you lose something, it's, uh, it's, it's like a detriment, but didn't you experience something of like magnitude and something beautiful and something, you know, granted I'm sure some of us had really awkward experiences depending on what age that you engage in that level of intimacy but i thought you know that's true like i i think when you experience the level of intimacy with another human on that level now whether or not you cherish it or you're present with it that's your own choice but the level at which i was so willing to like go to my grave letting that be the experience that i held to and had a partnership with a person who is, it's just, it's crazy to me, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole idea surrounding purity culture, it's, it's such a hot mess. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it just, it really, You know, it teaches shame and guilt. Um, You know, that your body is something to fight against and deny. That, you know, sexuality, you know, sexual feelings are something to fight and deny until you're married. And nothing else is talked about it's like when you get married it's going to be perfect but it's not at least not in my experience
0: (laughs) that's right tara is married how many years have you been married tara
1: four and a half
0: four and a half that's right
1: beautiful years (laughs) (laughs) and and i will say um my husband and i had sex before we were married um i don't know what's tmi on a podcast but
0: there's no tmi in my podcast
1: <laughs> i wouldn't think so.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um but at least we tried and it wasn't like we tried not to have sex we tried to have sex oh okay And, um, you know, they were my body, I have some health conditions and past things and it just didn't fit. It just didn't fit, (laughs) you know? And that was tragic to me. It was absolutely, I mean, I just thought, you know, he's gonna leave me you know, he's not going to love me anymore, because we can't have sex. And it it wasn't that we couldn't or never could. You know, there were just some things that I needed to do. And, you know, I talked to my doctor about it and all of that. But it was because of what I've been told my whole life of, you know, if you wait, then basically God is going to reward you with awesome sex that's not how it is (laughs) and that's not what we need to be leading people to believe because what it leads to is someone crying on the floor when it's not that way yeah and you know I have to say my now husband was amazing in those moments and there for me supportive um you know exactly what i needed but it just ooh, it was tough because i thought you know i waited or or i thought i'm not married yet i'm being punished oh wow yeah and that's no one needs that no you
0: know I feel like intimacy, especially sexual intimacy, is such a, unless you have a really, really positive body image, which in my life, I feel like I've met maybe two or three, and I've met lots of people in my life who have just really confident body image. And so when you are sexually intimate with another human, you're bringing all of that into it with it right all these desires around maybe feeling awkward in different ways and and so when you come into that intimacy of that it's just what should be really beautiful can be very traumatizing especially I did have a friend I had a friend who did wait and I mean for several years it was just pain she had lots of pain and um and I just remember feeling and, and and it was hard for her also to switch into the mode of like sex is now okay like you know your whole life you have to flip off this switch that's like no 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 I can't go there I can't go there I can't go there and I'm not advocating for premarital sex like that's not that's not my place I I'm not about to tell anyone, well, you should try it on before you buy it. Like that's not, that's not where I'm at. I I just, I think I wish that I had conversations with people around the reality of what sex actually is, Mm -hmm. which is, is a intermingling of souls to a certain extent, because you are so, it's so intimate. That's the only word I feel like can explain what happens in a sexual union and and explaining some around those things of of when you experience this with another person there are levels of yourself that maybe you haven't experienced or you don't know that you'll experience and so making sure that that person that you share that with is someone that you do feel safe with who as you experience with griffin Like, is someone who can be there to be so compassionate and tender when, when it is not an experience that you expected, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I just wish, you know, someone had been more honest that, you know, just more real about sex and that it's not always perfect and there might be an issue, there might be pain or something that comes up, whether it's um, a health condition like I have, or just, you know, body not being used to it. And like you said, having turned that switch off for so many years, you know but no one no one was ever real it was like sex was such a taboo thing to talk about um it was kind of glossed over or put on a pedestal and then glossed over
0: did you watch bridgerton no all right so it's on netflix and i guess it's set in like i don't know the 17 1800s i'm not really sure the exact time frame that it's supposed to be but they do actually explore like what like they didn't tell women anything anything at all about what they would experience like on their honeymoon what was going to happen to them all they knew is they got married and that they were going to have children but like nobody really talks to them about it and i haven't really studied like the history of that but it's interesting because since it's i mean very few of us got here without that step like (laughs) and 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 the fact of the matter is 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 like everybody does it why are not we talking about this why aren't we why don't we feel more comfortable going here and having this conversation and leading our children through that Mm -hmm. like i you know my boyfriend sergio he has a 10 year old he's gonna be 11 we've had some fun times because you know now, granted, Kai, his son's not my son, so I can't say this as a parent, but we've had to have some conversations where I've led the charge because I, I'm like, this isn't fair to a child to ask them to learn from the world what sex is and what it should be. Because if we're not the ones talking to him about it, someone's going to. And I'd rather us have this conversation with him around what he's seeing, seeing or coming into. I still think 10's just a little early But there was some situations where some porn was discovered. And so we had to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with the internet, (laughs) there are so many things that like when you're seeing them or when you're being confronted by them, that you don't know what to do with, especially at his age, he's like, I don't know what this is, but like, I'm intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's just such an interesting I wonder why it's so uncomfortable for people because I don't experience that for myself. And maybe that's because of my own experience with sex that I wish, you know, the same for you, that someone had just been honest. Like, this is what it is. This is what you experience. And I feel like I was so ill-equipped. I don't regret the decision I made at all. I don't now. There could have been situations where I had a pregnancy that I didn't want or, you know, or those kinds of things. I've never had to walk through that. So I can't, I can't say, you know, any of those things around like, you know, abstinence has a place as far as, you know, that's a hundred percent going to assure that you don't have any children, (laughs) but I feel like just telling someone to abstain from something these like natural urges that we have all these hormones that like rush through our body and we're like oh my god what do I do with this <laughs> you know Yeah.
1: you shut it down
0: that's right turn it off shut it down get your bible out
1: yeah and it's <laughs> it's contradictory that it's taught as something dirty until you're married right it's bad and these feelings that you're experiencing in your body are bad and you should ignore them and i just don't think that's healthy and it it doesn't create healthy body images and healthy mindsets and
0: Yeah. I I think, yeah, I I think I, yeah, I just wish someone had been honest. I think you put that really like in a a very simplified way of just like, I wish someone had even talked to about I guess some of the things that do come up, not just in intimate moments or in marriage, but in relationship, just as a whole, um, I lost my total train of thought. It's just gone. Yeah,
1: that's all right. It's
0: no longer there. This has happened to me several times this week where I'm like, I have no idea what I was about to say. It may come back and it may not. (laughs) It's just gone. So Um,
1: yeah, on that subject of talking about other aspects of relationships, um, Evelyn knows what a nightmare my almost marriage counseling was. Oh (laughs) she, She was there in that, in those moments. But what Griffin and I were asked, it was like, who's gonna take the trash out? and who's gonna do the dishes? And, you know, just like divvying up chores and what the man does and what the woman should do and how I should, you know, be there as Griffin's support. And, you know, had we talked about having children and it wasn't anything that had to do with our relationship. It was
0: you divvied out the
1: chores, yeah. And I thought, that's not helpful either it's not no one tells you that you know sometimes it's going to be hard (laughs) like the first two years of marriage aren't all marital bliss what (laughs) you know the honeymoon ends sometimes but no one talks about that and you just navigate it on your own and you feel alone or you know I did (laughs) Mm mm-hmm And yeah, instead we're asked who's going to do the dishes, (laughs) but.
0: What do you wish, what do you wish that they had told you in that counseling? Now in hindsight, four years in, what, what do you wish that you had been equipped with or walked through with before you were married? I don't
1: that's a good question. I'm not sure that I have a complete answer for it. I didn't want to do the marriage counseling in the first place (laughs) because it, it just wasn't something I respected at that point in my life. But I, I think like what would have been perfect of someone, you know, an older couple that I looked up to, you know, someone who knew me, like really knew me just say you know sometimes it's hard sometimes there are you know disagreements or or not even a disagreement sometimes it's just on an emotional level like the two of you aren't on the same wavelength that day and because i one of the things going into my marriage I was having very frequent anxiety attacks due to birth control. And that was not something anyone talked to me about. They are like, oh, go on birth control, it's great. And there were other reasons that I needed to try out birth control uh, because I have a disease called endometriosis and it's supposed to help, but it didn't help me. It just made me an absolute train wreck. And I cried every day for no reason just anxiety through the roof. And I didn't know what it was because there were things that no one had ever said that, you know, yeah, birth control can sometimes make you feel like you've gone insane and just, you know, sometimes being in a relationship, even though it's beautiful and you and that person love each other. And, you know, you want to be there for each other. Sometimes it's hard because you don't know how to be, you know, like for myself, I want to fix everything. And sometimes I just need to be there and be present and not fix it or not try to fix it because I can't really, and Griffin's the same way. And it's just, I don't know, I guess someone could have just said, you know, just be present and listen. When things are hard. (laughs) But no one did. And we figured it out. And I think, you know, most people who are in relationships that they want to be in, you know, you get there. But I don't know, I just felt blindsided
0: (laughs) yeah it's a constant negotiation and renegotiation right of compromise and yeah and learning people's rhythms
1: yeah and like i i had a friend ask me the other day like how how have you been stayed in a successful relationship and marriage for this long and um, (laughs) I didn't have a good, you know, there is no answer to that question. It's you have to, both of you have to want to be, you know, and when, when it's difficult, you, the bottom line is that, you know, you love that person and you choose it. But there is no, you know, magic recipe or secret ingredient to having a successful relationship.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's important to remember is this just like a, like a choice mm-hmm. that you continue to choose each other, even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. I heard a quote recently too that was like there's no perfect one there's the one you choose. I was like that's interesting because I think we kind of glamorize this in movies right where we we don't see the we don't see what happens after the prince and the princess get married mm-hmm. and they have kingdoms to run. It's just they lived happily ever after, and there's no. Well, how do you negotiate? You know this quarrel, or or you know, for example, too, like talking to your kids about sex. How how do you? <laughs> there there's not like a i guess a guidebook and even if there was a guidebook which actually people in the christian faith would say that the bible is the guidebook um there's not like a one size fits all as you say yeah Yeah. and i think that's important to remember too
1: yeah and i think going back to the bible as the guidebook you know I've heard that so many times, but what does it really mean, you know, that's, it's almost a cop out, because that's the only answer, there's no explanation after it, and so that's where it gets, you know, oh, just read the Bible, and it'll be, you'll be all good, you'll figure it out, but there's a lot of different things in the Bible, (laughs)
0: Maybe that's not a topic for today. Well, I mean, it certainly can be. I feel like, I feel like too, there's a piece that goes on here as well. When When you consider the Bible, how little people in organized religion acknowledge that the Bible was written in a different time for a different people. That doesn't mean that there's not lessons to be learned But I do think that there's like more that needs to be considered around what the text meant in the day that it was written versus being blindly asserted into a culture that doesn't live an agrarian lifestyle under a tyrannical rule of an empire. Well, some people might argue that we are under a tyrannical rule of an empire at different times, depending on what political camp you fall in and when it's, when it's convenient for you to say so. (laughs) So (laughs) that's another conversation for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I'm curious, Tara. So like, I know, I can't remember, I feel like you and I came across Richard Rohr around the same time.
1: Yeah, I think we did.
0: And so I feel like I'm curious for you in this exploration of your faith, Mm -hmm. what teachers and what outlets have you found that have maybe helped you in your curiosity during this period or help you examine where you are?
1: So I found the Liturgist podcast, and through them, Richard Rohr, at a really pivotal time. Uh, I was struggling with not knowing where I fit, and feeling like there wasn't any aspect of Christianity that I felt like I belonged in, but still, I didn't want to let it go I didn't want to let go of God or um, having faith in something. And I found the Liturgy's podcast, which it's I still highly recommend. It's quite different now than when I first started listening to it. Um, a lot of changes in, in people, but um, ultimately in the beginning, Mike McCarr, um, Michael Unger, and Hillary McBride, William Matthews, those were four people who helped me stabilize and feel like there was still a place for me and that maybe I wasn't the odd one out. Um, and Through them, I found Richard Rohr and read The Universal Christ, uh, his book, and that felt like a breath of fresh air because it felt like everything I had ever felt within myself but couldn't really say in the spaces I was in, just his thoughts on who God really is and on Jesus and on the gospel and everything is so, so much more freeing and I think he to sum him up he just believes and you can tell he believes that everything belongs and that feels, the God he talks about feels like the God that I know Mm. and, or at least want to know. And, um, that's what, that's what drew me in and helped me come to a place where I felt like I could, I don't necessarily call myself a Christian anymore, but I don't, not, you know, identify as that either. Um, I feel like there is a place for me, um, and then just still kind of distancing myself from, from other aspects, but yeah, those those people, the Literature podcast, Richard Rohr has a podcast, which I really love. Do
0: you know what his is called?
1: Um, I can't remember. I can look it up really quickly.
0: No, that's okay. That's okay. Richard Rohr, his last name is spelled R-O-H-R. And actually, I was looking at my Facebook memories like an hour ago. And on this day back in 2019, I have a quote from his book, From the Universal Christ, um, which I feel like is relevant. And I wanted to bring here cause I was like, wow, uh, the timing of that's not lost on me. Um, but in his book, he wrote all spiritual knowledge is not cognition. It's recognition. You're re-knowing what you deeply already knew, what you deeply intuited, suspected, desired, hoped for. That's the soul, the discovery of yourself and the discovery of God will eventually be parallel movements. You fall deeper into yourself, you fall deeper into God. You fall deeper into God, you have permission to fall deeper into yourself. And that's just the way of Richard Rohr. He's such a beautiful human. I think what I've loved about listening to him teach is that he makes space for the polarity, for the both and. For the darkness and the light. You don't always have to be just in the light. And anytime I've heard him discuss a topic that maybe he doesn't feel like he knows enough about or something he struggled with personally, he's been quick to like recognize that that's the truth for him and going, you know, I don't actually know that's a great question it's a question that I don't know this is kind of what I thought about it but I'm still learning and I don't even know how old he is do you know is he in his 70s
1: that sounds right
0: okay and he has cancer of some kind
1: I didn't know that
0: I think um I'll have to look into that but I'm I'm pretty sure that that's the truth. Um, But what I love about him too, is just that humility. Mm -hmm. And I think that I wish that i I'd experience more of the humility in the teachings of the Bible and of faith throughout my life with people who are leading in the Mm -hmm. church and a humility and a recognition to, to like know that what they were teaching or, what they're exploring is still open to interpretation in a lot of levels and that spirituality isn't a one size fits all. And that I happen to be a believer that science does coexist with faith. And oftentimes it, it is the proof that faith can exist. That's been my experience. The further I Learn, Or I was recently learning some things about um, like physics <laughs> yeah. and just how the ways in which energy and quantum energy move and can be manipulated only with thought and how we can see that interact and play out is, again, so indicative to me. That there is room for creativity, and that that has been wired and hardwired into everything that exists because there was a creator that began that process. You know? Uh, so I feel like this is a great place to end this episode because it doesn't have a bow on it. Like we went a couple different places. But I think ultimately what I want people to walk away from with today is the permission to explore and be curious and to have conversations with people who not necessarily have to believe the same way that you do, but to be honest about how you're feeling in your face. Because anytime I've brought this up, in fact, And I've been honest with people in my life. I feel like they can relate to what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's no room for shame in this conversation. Like there's no, there's no wrong or right answer in this way. And I wish people would have more respect for the dignity of the other human who's having experience, maybe they don't have to respect, well, maybe they don't have to agree with what the other person believes or is experiencing in their life, but I think another issue that I have with people who have grown up in the church or who are deeply religious in my life, who always want to explain everything away, and point back to well this is what the bible says or you know or you know jesus is going to save you from your sins these very like scripted out boxy things (laughs) i just i can't stand it anymore (laughs) uh, and i feel like i feel like i don't respect that journey anymore as much either because that life that scripted way of being in the world feels to me like someone who hasn't actually done their work and by work I mean actually tested their faith actually had and again see that's my own hypocrisy because I want people to you know be open-minded but here I am passing judgment on someone else's you know frameworks so I recognize that about myself too isn't that fun
1: (laughs) yeah I get what you're saying and I think that is an important place to start with the church um just deconstructing all of that all of the boxy you know there's an answer for everything um because it isn't helpful and I don't want to prolong things too long but just in especially as it comes to things like people walking through grief those everyday answers are not what people need and they're not what point people to God if that's what the you know intended outcome is
0: Well, I can relate directly to that yeah, because I've had very well-meaning people in my life who want to be comforting. They're trying to offer me comfort by saying, your dad's in a better place. You'll see him again. And at first, that was really hard for me to hear because of where I am in my own faith. It wasn't comforting. It made me always... I was never angry at the person. I knew that the intention was well meaning, that it was it was something they were trying to be that was loving. But as someone who is, I don't know, in this place of flux, whatever you want to call it, it wasn't comforting. It was cliche. Mm-hmm in a time and still a time which has been so hard to navigate. And there's still a piece too, that I recognize that you and I have, I think at least texted about to say like, now I know that unless somebody has been asked to walk this path, of this loss because that's what it is, is a loss. There's no way that you can understand what I'm going through. And I, I have tried to, to not be so defensive or to assume that people don't know what I'm going through, but it has helped when someone has offered, you know, I lost this person in my life. And then I would soften (laughs) because i feel like i didn't know like i had no idea what this path actually looked like and again it's that piece of humility of going like how about instead of trying to prescribe a bow or a fix or a silver lining Mm -hmm. you just sit down next to the person and acknowledge this really sucks and I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm here.
1: Yeah. I think that's the best. And the only thing that is, I don't really want to say helpful, but just to be present in grief and not offer those cliche Um, phrases and make people feel like there's some sort of timeline or like a step, a five-step program of getting through it because there isn't. It's a process that is ongoing and always changing and Yeah, like
0: you said, it's just something you walk through. Um, You know, I did a podcast recently too on grief uh, with one of the companies I support as a coach. And I had just read in a book, you know, The Five Stages of Grief, which comes from Elizabeth Mm Kubler-Ross. The Five Stages of Grief were meant to be for terminally ill patients,
1: yeah.
0: But yeah, yeah. And I feel like people want these like nice little frameworks or compartments for how these things ebb and flow, and they want the the rubric of like, how am I doing? How am I doing in my grief? Am I doing it right? Am I? doing it well and that doesn't even have to be grief it could be marriage it could be sex it could be anything that we're exploring or experiencing for the first time like how am i doing and we start looking around us and i recently heard on a podcast this is interesting from a relationship coach she was talking about how mammals have to learn by imitation that's how we learn by watching other people and I thought, that's so interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and how we, we learn how by watching someone else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know. That's, that's something I'm still sitting with. Um, and it, again, it makes a lot of sense to me and some of the breakdown in different parts and areas. But... Yeah, I think that, again, the platitudes, the cliche offerings of it's going to be okay. Sometimes it's not okay.
1: Yeah, and it's okay.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's okay. I think sometimes it's more, and if you are walking through something hard in your life that You have people in your life not willing to go there with you, recognize that has nothing to do with you, but has everything to do with their discomfort to experience that suffering with you. Mm -hmm. And that's not ultimately their fault too. I mean, yes, it's our responsibility, but I feel like when people don't know, they just don't know. And I don't think that we teach people how to suffer.
1: No. No that isn't something that's talked about like so many other things no one talks about grief or any sort of pain or loss and how to walk through that in a healthy way that you know it's not always pretty
0: it's very often not pretty (laughs) Um, but I do think that if you take the time to be uncomfortable with another human being or with yourself, that there's a lot of, be- of beauty to be found, even if at first it feels very awkward and confronting because you've never allowed yourself the capacity or the space to, to sit there. You know, and I think there's a, there's almost a depth to another person that can't be achieved any other way except mm-hmm. through that suffering and that willingness to experience those deserts and valleys. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's an expanding process that's just painful to delve into. And so a lot of people will
0: avoid it and get
1: discomfort using, you know, the things that they've been told to say are the things that have been told to
0: them. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here. Is there anything else like on your heart or your mind that you want to share before we wrap up? Um,
1: I don't think I have anything else. Thanks for having me on though. This is my first podcast.
0: (laughs) Oh, awesome. Well, I appreciate you being here. I know we we were kind of all over the map here, but again, I think that's kind of the way that spirituality and faith work. I think it's really an ebbing and a flowing um, and a very, very much an organic conversation that happens. So maybe we can do a check-in in like several months and see what that looks like. I would, I again, still just want... I personally want people to just know that it's um, in process yeah. and that life is a constant conversation and a habitual creation and recreation. And I love what you said, a, what did you call it? Deconstruction, a deconstructing process. I think that everything in our life has to be visited and revisited because as we go through chapters and relationships and learn about how we function in the world and how other people function and how life works and how we experience that things have to be renegotiated and relearned in a, in a sense. And that that is okay. Yeah. So thank you again for being here with me. I'm grateful.
1: Thank you we
0: so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed having you along for the ride. And if you want to stay in touch, cause you also hate goodbyes like me, um, you can head over to Instagram. That's where I hang out. Some, my handles just at Evelyn Fusen. I'd love to connect with you there. Um, and again, I'd love to hear from you by email. If you just want to share something that you know, resonated with you or you took away from the episode. I love hearing from you. And finally, if you are enjoying the show and it's something that you feel led to do, I would love for you to leave a review for me wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does help get the word out about this podcast. And, um, yeah, I would just love to have more people as part of this conversation. I really, really am grateful for you. So until next time.